Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Coco. And if this is your first time tuning in, you are listening to Chatterbox Podcast, where I talk about what I like, and hopefully you like it too. Let me ask you a question. How do it feel to be ordinary? How do it feel to be cliche? I really wouldn't know, huh? Well, we are here. We made it to the season finale of Chatterbox Podcast. I'm so 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 very happy that you guys were able to join me on this journey and if you've been listening since season one when i didn't have any visuals i appreciate you for being a supporter and an avid listener uh thus far i was going to try to make it to 10 episodes but there was a slight little detour uh, as a result of a global pandemic as you guys are aware but everything happens for a reason and i'm so grateful that i was able to end it the way that i did in this episode uh the eighth episode you will get to see an interview with Danny, Chef Danny, and he talks a little bit about how he became a chef and his journey to get to the point where he is today. We also talk a little bit about how to make your goals and your aspirations conducive to the lifestyle that you want. He drops a lot of entrepreneurial gems that you won't want to miss. So once again, you are listening to the season finale of Chatterbox Podcast, Episode 8, Season 2. Up next, Obstacles by John the Author. Challenge, then another one come to help out. Nah. That ain't true. You just gotta learn how to move. Used to feel I was super, but now it's clear that I'm human. Man, I'm more in tune with reality. Besides, when I ride the beat, I somehow defy gravity. Who flies me? You got to have that mentality if you're trying to reach a higher peak to make it further than the eye can see. The eyes can be the window to the soul, so keep your shades on. Cause niggas out here on they shank song. Uh, when they watching you, just show them how much you maneuver through obstacles. If it's And didn't think that I would listen it Till I found myself in certain instances Had to put the phone down and grab a pen for this Let's take it back a bit You real about this rapping shit You know what I mean Seat back, yeah, you know how I lean Don't compare me to nobody younger than me I'm 103 
coming and see how closely we have come to the brink. Take the leap, this everything you ever wanted to be. This world is cold as Nova Scotia. Everybody got the coldest shoulder. Roll your over, take a hit. This shit right here should hold you over. Hopefully, until you kick the habit. No skipping classes is a calculator to help with your mathematics. Imagine the magic that can happen if you were tapped into a higher power, my nigga. That's what you call a blessing. With this rapping, I'm of a different fabric. When it came to spitting, I never knew no competition. Scribbling intensive lyrics up in my compositions, acting like my stanzas had the cure for cancer. <laughs> this ain't for dancing, if anything, it's for man expansion. The plan is to damage the seeds that were planted. They don't want you to believe, cause they need that advantage, but I highly recommend it. You see something you want, you best be highly reprehensive. When they watching you, to show them how much you maneuver through obstacles. If it's possible, then you got to move. Yeah, you got to move. What you got to lose? just heard obstacles by john the author and you can gain access to him and all of his music on instagram at john underscore the author again that's at j-o-h-n underscore t-h-e-a-u-t-h-o-r Up next, I get to speak with Chef Danny, and we talk about food, bourbon, and lifestyle. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Coco, and you are listening and hopefully watching Chatterbox Podcast, and I am here with the awesome Chef Danny. That's a good intro. Thanks for having me. No problem. (laughs) All right, so let's just get right into it, and I want to start off with some normal questions just to kind of get a vibe of what kind of person you are. So, what are you listening to right now? Uh, A lot of old school stuff. Um, Curtis Mayfield, Bobby Womack, uh, Teddy Pendergrass, stuff like that, usually. You know. That old school. I was like, okay, so what's your old school? Because I'm like, everybody's old school. Real old school. Then it'll, it'll, as the day progress, the eras progress, then I'll go into some new edition. Then Drew Hill, then, you know. 90s, early 2000s. Okay, you just, okay, that's fair. What have you been reading? Um, two books, the Bible and <laughs> the, <laughs> the Art of War. Preacher's kids, so, you know, always keep a, a Bible nearby and the, uh, the Art of War. Okay, what's that about? Um, basically, it's it basically it's about war tactics and strategies and stuff, and how you can apply that to any scenario. So, know your opponent, respect your opponent, 
uh, study your opponent's weaknesses and strengths and things like that. And I think this is the second time someone brought this book up in an interview. I feel you like you know, yeah, like this. Art of Sung Soo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I clearly this is something I need to go ahead and read myself. It's a very male, prominent type of masculine book. Okay. Okay. Um, what are you watching? Power. Um, Boardwalk Empire. Uh, I watched. Um, Madam C.J. Walker's uh, series. What did you think about it? Honest opinion. Okay. A um, lot of good performances. Tiffany Haddish uh, was a friend of mine. She did very well. I was, I wouldn't say surprised, but seeing her in a, a different role or a different era, more historic uh, setting, she, she did very well. She did very well. Wow. Yeah, I... I, I have mixed feelings. I think that everybody's performance in it was good, but I just think that maybe the writing, I don't know. And I'm usually not like such a critic on things like that, but I just was like, I, I think I wanted to learn more too. It was short. Yeah, that's what I was saying. In a, I think it was maybe five episodes, four or five episodes, something like that. Uh, it was felt real condensed. It went, it went from zero to a hundred, like, okay. Great. Yeah, because there's, because I mean, I, I, you know, when you're growing up, you hear about the same like five people in Black history, right? If that same like three people. So I was, I like to be able to hear about somebody who I feel like wasn't talked about as much as Dr. Martin Luther King or Harriet Tubman, you know? And for y'all women, she's the first billionaire, right? Millionaire, millionaire, which is still more than when I make it. Shout out to Oprah. Right, right. <laughs> You know, it's okay. Paving the way. You know, she paved the way. Just to get, like, right into your actual craft. So what is your professional job title? Um, private chef and CEO, founder of Bull Young Bourbon. Okay. So let's talk about the private chef first. All right. So what made you choose to get into this line of work in the first place? Um, well, cooking always had a, a natural kind of interest in it ever since I was maybe eight or nine uh Saturdays my father would cook breakfast you know clear out the refrigerator from everything we had during the week so we'll fried chicken waffles sausage eggs banana pudding it was just a clear out the thing so my mom could come in and cook for Sunday dinner and restock the thing like that so I kind of got my basic breakfast fundamental techniques from, from my father then as I got older, my mom started putting me to work in the kitchen because she saw that I had a a knack for it. And um, high school, I kind of like dominated home ec. And my uh, home ec teacher was like, come with me to this job fair. Then I met all different types of chefs. I thought my knowledge on chefs at that time was very narrow. And right, the person who cooks, boom. Exactly. Then I met the chef at the White House. I met the sh chef for the New York Yankees. I met... Uh, private chef for the actors and things. I'm like, all these people, he was like, there, man, the people who have money need chefs. I was like, for real? Then I, I saw, like, the lifestyle they lived was very, it was up there with the, an athlete or an actor or someone famous. So nice cars, clothes, personality. I was like, oh, this is a job where I, I can be myself too? Okay, cool then. So uh, what is the... I guess besides the lifestyle of the chef, what was like the thing you were most surprised to learn during your journey to become one? Like what was like the thing that we were like, what? Um, besides the lifestyle. I have a sports background. So I played sports growing up and how you can apply that same 
mentality to this now because I knew I wasn't going to go pro and all this stuff, but I could still apply that same competitive drive into this now. And uh, I'm into music too. So the competitiveness of being an athlete and the artistic side that I got from being a musician, playing drums in church, writing poetry and all these things, all all into one as a chef because everything is very cohesive. So I was like, oh, I, I can still be me even though I, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. I can still pick little things up uh, and add it to my game as a chef. So. And you kind of, you spoke on, you know, writing the poetry and being a musician. So how does that artistry factor into your, the way you cook? Well, music always playing. So uh, I always say like a chef could have existed in any era. When James Brown was around, Sinatra was around, slavery, army, the Harlem Renaissance. Now, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the chef was always needed in any era. So me, I draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of stuff from, you know, the 30s, the 40s, different um, cuisines, ethnicities, regions, things like that. It's, it's, a, it's a craft that will never get massacred because you always want to keep learning things. So um, being a musician, you know, same inspiration. If a, if a rapper or a singer sees something, they come up with a lyric. I may see a, a painting and may want to cook something emulating the painting stuff like that so what is your favorite part about being being a chef like you talk about factoring all those things in but what is your favorite aspect of being a chef impressing my friends <laughs> that's so, honest so if i say because you've been to one of my parties pretty legendary it was um hold on time out it was amazing like just from the way that the food smelled to the way that it was plated to the way that it tasted. And then the taste was like the last thing I, I noticed and it was like the best thing. But I, I noticed everything else leading up to that point. I, I like creating a good setting for like my friends to enjoy because I'm pretty sure, you know, going downtown to this restaurant can be kind of repetitive. So why not take a downtown quality chef or the food quality or bring it to Hyde Park, or Brownsville, or somewhere. And my house is very spacious where I can invite 60 to 70 people over for Taco Tuesday or Soul Food Sundays or Friday the 13th. And anything, any, 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 <laughs> any excuse to have my friends over because, uh, you know, I don't get to cook for them a lot because I'm always either traveling or working or doing all um, sorts of stuff. So anytime I get some free time, hey, house party, my house, bring whoever, whatever, I'm cooking, and let's go. And, and to get the approval of my peers that are artists and entrepreneurs and things like that, that's that's probably like my best part. Brings a different element to the idea of a house party too. And I think what it did, what, and for, for me, I can only speak for myself, but for me, I had never experienced a situation like that where somebody like a private chef prepared a meal for, you know, a selected few or whoever, you know? So that was a good experience, and I think that that was like, that was a cool element too that kind of added to like the whole vibe. Like, okay, like. You actually brought a key ingredient that night. That's what took the food to another level, but you know. I mean, you know, we're just gonna, you know, keep pushing, no? <laughs> um, but um, so the movie, I just watched the movie uh, Uncorked. So, okay, I bought wine, all right? 
It was just, you know, whatever. It was just wine, like some cheap wine. And he used it to cook, okay? Got out the shutter home. Oh my God. The eight ninety nine dollars special. <laughs> I will not be judged. It was you. A's made a sauce or something, and that was it. Still not living it down, obviously. Um, but speaking of wine, I just watched the movie Uncorked on Netflix. And it I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it follows uh, kind of the story of, like, a black man who wants to become a sommelier, if I'm saying it right. Somalia. I kind of put a chef in that same like realm because it's something that I feel like in the black community is not very common. So people are like, because you know black people cook all day long, but who is becoming a chef? Who's deciding to take that path? And so I, I guess what have you found? Has that been a factor in this journey? And if so, how? For me, um, I've always wanted to, I never wanted to be known as the collard green mac and cheese the soul food chef because people when they see us they automatically think southern food and which is perfect which is great i grew up on that you probably grew up on that um that's kind of how i even started cooking learning that um but always i have a elastic imagination and my creativity is you know why everybody's cooking soul food i want to go learn how to cook french food or steakhouse style or modern american brazilian anything so because I never wanted to be limited. So with my quest to kind of cook on the A1 level, a Michelin star uh, level, which I've worked at a few establishments that currently have two two stars, um, I got to cook on the highest level. So chefs I've worked under, they've been chefs at the world's best restaurants. Uh, the restaurants I've worked at have been top 50 in the world, things like that. And once I kind of got thrown in the fire, I wanted to open that door for another chef to come right behind me. Because when I got into it, I was maybe 19, 20, cooking at that level. And it was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do. So it was like, if I make it through this, they can't take that from me. Mm -hmm. So when I started, I was the only African-American, um, the least experienced, and I was the lowest paid. And when I ended up leaving, I was the highest paid. Still the only black, and I think I was the youngest too, still. So now they have to consider us because my mom, she's a big, uh, she's done human resources, so she knows what, you know, she tells me what to look for when, we, when I go into these corporate settings and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they're probably going to interview you harder than they would someone else. It's just it's how it is. So I'm going to teach you how to interview well. So she used to practice on me when I was like eight, nine years old, posture and all these things. So even just to get the call, that's step one. Okay, then you got to interview, vigorous interview process. Then you got to go cook for the chef. He's probably going to give you a harder test. Everybody after you because like, oh, he just didn't make it. We, we gave him a chance type of thing. So I knew all those things um, going into these rooms, going into these kitchens that I had to bring it because I only get one shot. And once I proved myself, every day was prove myself, give them a reason to pay me what they pay me or give them a reason why they promoted me. Give them a reason why they trust me to run a lunch service or cook for a, a VIP client in the penthouse. All these things became a, a reason why because they could easily did like that, took it from me. So um, once I was uh, content with that, it was time to start Chef Danny Bullock, Inc., 
So you talk about, you know, be, because of you accomplishing these things, they have to consider someone else that looks like you. So we're in Chicago, and I want to know how important is the city in what you're doing? Like, how important is maybe the next person who might want to be a chef or even be in an industry similar? Well, well Chicago specifically, is it's a lot of culture here, you know, similar to, you know, Bronzeville and High Park where I reside now very similar to like Harlem of New York City. A lot of culture, a lot of famous people have came through here, lived here. Their legacy is still imprinted here. So right now with me, my friends that are in other, uh, or that are other entrepreneurs and have other business ventures coming and currently operating, we're gonna be the new legends. You know what I'm saying? Like Corinne Chapman's gonna be the next Oprah. Danny Bullock's gonna be whatever. A um, few of my other friends that are in real estate and fashion and music, we gonna be right now. So what were we? Thirty? I'm 29. Don't tell your age. Um, so yeah, so 30 years from now, we still young. We still be 50 and 60. You know, Jay Jay Z just became a billionaire and he's 50. First album came out when he was 26. So just to have that in mind, like okay, we're gonna be the new wave of legends in Chicago. And you know, speaking to that too, like when we went to, when I went to the dinner, like that's what it felt like being there. And I really liked that being amongst people who are also entrepreneurs or people who are trying to accomplish great things or who are accomplishing great things. It was just in a good company and I, and I enjoyed the conversations that we had around those tables. So it was hitting on all cylinders. You got, it was a networking, we drank, we ate, we danced. And it wasn't forced. That's why I say just come to my house and drop all the information below. <laughs> Stuff can happen. Man. People got proposed to and wait. Oh, not the one. Not the one I was at. I was gonna be like, what? Where was I? I've been having those parties over there for since I was like twenty when I was in culinary school, just to make some money. Like, hey man, ten dollars all you can eat and drink, or then that graduated to twenty dollars all you can eat and drink. So if you got fifty, sixty-five people. And you only spending a couple dollars on food. You're right, because you know what you need to make it work. <laughs> That's smart. It's unconventional hustles, man. You got to be creative. You got to be creative. Um, so speaking unconventional, so as a chef, you know, it's only right to pair your food with drinks. And as we see right here, I think I got <laughs> have a little something here. Yeah, so this is, uh... Tell me about Bull Young. Bull Young bourbon, bourbon that I created and partnered up with the... Uh, St. Petersburg Distillery in St. Petersburg, Florida, just right outside Tampa. Age four years, um, has a high sweet content to it because uh, bourbons give you a quick rundown. Um, bourbons is one of the, if not the only, federal regulated spirit. So like government or whoever controls the alcohol circuit, you have to follow it a certain way to be considered a bourbon. So it has to be made with at least 51% corn, then the other 49% you could play with uh, rye or malted barley. Mm -hmm. So the difference between like a good or bad or a diff bourbon period is just how they play with that 49%? Well, you got some good bourbons that are high in rye. You got some that are high in corn, which would be mine. Uh, it's just a sweeter. It's a, since this being my first um, spirit to market, I wanted to, I wanted to be very approachable. So women, ooh, it's sweet. I like that. <laughs> And guys say, man, oh, man, it's smooth. I like that. So I knew I couldn't come out the gate with something with a high rye or a high 
you know, proof and level, things like that. It would have quickly pick a side. Exactly. So it's, uh, I like old fashions. I like it on the rocks, neat, even. Uh, I cook with it, a lot of sauces, um, either on the savory side or in, in the dessert side as well, too. So it's a very versatile spirit. So that's why you chose bourbon versus like doing a whiskey or doing rum? All bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons. Explain that. Outside of this 51% corn, all that stuff, it has to be aged in a brand new charred white oak barrel in the U.S. minimum four years. No additive coloring or flavoring. Everything what's there came from Mother Nature. Whiskies, you can get a little more creative. You can age it in a rum case or, or, or a wine case from Italy or to get more flavors and start playing around with stuff like that. Bourbon is all American-made. Everything's here. So you say you talked about wanting... You want some? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, I, I also wanted to know why you didn't choose a wine. And maybe I might be being a little sexist by saying you, you were saying that you wanted it to be something that both men and women can enjoy. Is that why you didn't choose a wine? Or is it just because it just wasn't your thing? Wines have been done before. And when I was overseas, that's for you, and I lived overseas... Um, had a lot of time on my hands to think and create and like, man, I'm making a lot of noise. I'm doing okay with the money. I want to come back to invest in something. So what can be a game changer? So I got a lot of, lot of buzz, a lot of momentum from being a chef. I don't see any chefs with their own spirit. They endorse a lot of their ambassadors, but they don't own uh, any little to or any majority stock in the company so i'm like okay on to something i know there's a lot of chefs with wines so we got that cheers cheers is there a certain way to um consume bourbon is there a recommended way you can swirl it a little bit like wine pick up on the notes hopefully everything i said is accurate to what you smell it smells sweet sweet smooth not whew. no i because you i would have done that it, i didn't oh, so yeah I, like i said this is how i like it but for women, it's good in a cocktail. Uh, I even make a sangria with it, speaking on wine. I've done that before. All with the bourbon. Very versatile. Okay. I didn't flinch. I, ladies, I did not flinch. Go ahead, get yourself some bull young. Um, but yeah, wines have been done before. Those come and go. Rappers with vodkas and tequilas, those come and go. Um, everything's a hand out situation. The amount of Hennessy I've seen in the last couple is like a, like gallons upon gallons of things like that. So, um, so my father's from the South and uh, grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. And all of his uncles, uncles, they bootlegged whiskey and made hooch and stuff like that. So it's been around me since I was since I can remember. So what is a common misconception that people might have about being a chef or an chef or an entrepreneur or someone in your field period? Um, that I since I'm a chef, I only eat caviar and oysters and just on a on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, that, I'm not that at all. I actually eat regular 
food when I'm not cooking it myself because I cook that fancy stuff so much. I don't want to come home and be in uniform still and still cook on that level. So um, if someone see me at a Harold's, they're like, man, you a chef. What you doing? Because it's good. And, and a lot of people, a lot of my, like, say people want to do a heavy hors d'oeuvre party. I'll take a lot of urban food. Urban. It's the politically correct way to say black. <laughs> my own twist on it. So if you were to do a, one of my hors d'oeuvres is a uh, crispy chicken Philly egg roll. Got that from Baba's. Straight up, you know what I'm saying? Because thanks, shout out to Baba's. Uh, you know, just fun stuff like that. Uh, you can get inspiration from anywhere, whether it be where well, I lived overseas, the 14 countries I visited, or up the block from my house at all. So, you know, I, I consider being someone that has to, that interviews people, I consider you like you have to kind of be a versatile person who can move in multiple different rooms. And what I'm hearing is as a chef, you kind of need to be that same way and even like prepare food that same way, like kind of tailor it yeah. to where you're at and who you're giving the food to. And then also keeping yourself engulfed, like keeping yourself a part of that meal as well. And it makes you more valuable and marketable as a chef too. Uh, if I get a call from someone that had their wedding in Jamaica and they want me to recreate that, I'm not going to be like, well, I only specialize in... When my phone rang, I wanted to be well-versed in anything that would come from that other side of the phone. Hey, can you do Thai food? Yeah. Can you do Asian food? Yep. Soul food? Yep. Contemporary American? Yep. Steakhouse flair? Yep. And that's just from extracurricular studying that I've done. Because um, it just interests me. Like, when I was in my younger days... I saw YouTube, 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 books, 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 books. So now it's like my mind's like a computer. I got a lot of data up here. So I made something I've learned seven years ago. Still haven't used it yet. But when that call comes, I got it. And you just mentioned that you've visited 14 countries. Yeah, I lived overseas for a year. Where did you live? I was in Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, so a good friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Pargo, uh, professional basketball player. Shout out to Pargo. Uh, I've known him since I was... A little kid, maybe 10 years old, growing up in uh, different basketball camps with him. Um, right when I left my last corporate job as a chef, I reached out to him. He was training to go back overseas and play. I think he was about to go to China at the time. And he was looking to get in shape and kind of uh, get his body right to go overseas. So I called him. He flew me down. Then uh, I've been with him for the last two years. Then... Uh, after that contract, he got a opportunity to go to play for Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is like the biggest, best, most winning franchise in Israeli basketball. So we went over there. Um, then since I'm in Europe, it was $80 to Paris. I'm going. $40 to Italy. I'm going. Barcelona, uh, Cyprus, Morocco, uh, Santorini. Of all the places that you've been able to visit, one, what was the place that you liked to visit the most? And then two, which place had the best food? Uh, Rome, Italy, and Rome, Italy. So that was my favorite. Like, Italian culture is very similar to African-American culture, too. It's a lot of food, a lot of wine, all family. Sunday dinners at our house, same thing at their houses, too. They drink wine, we drink wine, too. Food, wine, family. 
um, and to see that how our uh, cultures were parallel was cool. Uh, from a chef's point of view, it's all about the ingredients and the simplicity. You know, not overdoing it. Like if the tomato's perfectly in season, you don't need to do too much with it. And I, the the older I get, I turn tend to depend on the ingredient being the focus rather than me is that. I mean, I feel like that's how we came up too, like seasoning foods and, and things like that. But as you learn, you, you don't, less is more sometimes. So uh, what's your main goal with your career? So it within your career and, and then just in general? Just make my lifestyle a brand and company. So everything I do, I want to own it, the process of it. So I like to cook, okay? I own a restaurant. I go eat it. Uh, I like to drink bourbon. I own a bourbon company. I like to dress a clothing company. I like nice hotels, open a hotel. I like nice lounges and cigars, my own brand. You know what I'm saying? Just follow the all, all my um, mentors and people I've looked up to. I kind of follow their their process, and that's very conducive and aspirational for me to own everything I do so I don't have to wait on anybody. Or look or outsource it. Outsource it. If I want it, I make it. I don't buy it. I really like that model because I think people say, you know, you live in beyond your means or you're, um, or you have to like adjust to whatever, whatever is out there. That you're making the lifestyle kind of fit you rather than you fitting the lifestyle. And I think that's really important, especially in, I, in this generation. It's almost like everybody wants to do multiple things, but there's a way to kind of go about it to make it make sense, you know? So I like that. Make it make sense. What advice would you give to you? You have so many. You wear so many different hats, and I think that you could. You have a lot of things that you could uh, advise other people on. So, what would you advise? Maybe someone who wants to become a chef, or someone who wants to be an entrepreneur, or or live even the way that you're saying that you your goal is to live. How does one even start that? Well, for me, it was, I asked myself, okay, I can do this for the rest of my life and wouldn't mind get a dollar from it. You got to love it that much, like, because it's going to be days where when you start off, you may not be making as much as you think you should. But the experience, after doing it multiple times, multiple times, it puts you in a comfortable space to take that call, to take that opportunity, and be ready for that opportunity. So never stop being a chef. Like, being a chef is not just being in the kitchen. You got to read. You got to go out to eat, um, watch. Um, just really perfect your craft. And like I said, if you won't ever make a dollar from it, would you still love it? Obviously, that's the mentality. Obviously, entrepreneur, obviously in the business to make money, but how you withstand a long stream of success is I can I can cook every day if I wanted to. I just I just love it that much. Whatever what's going on, family issues, anything going on, had a bad day or some got some bad news, whatever. As long as I'm on that stove, it just blocks it out and I can pour all that and kind of make some of my best food. Channel all that um creative juices and pour it into one thing and you you get a lot of I mean, you even talked about being, you know, being an athlete. And I always hear when people, when people are going through something, oh, I just go to the gym or I, you know, I work it out. And so you're basically doing that in the kitchen. And I, and I agree with you as far as having 
the passion enough to do something without necessarily getting instant uh, benefits or rewards for it. Because what I've learned is that uh, you have to show people that you're worth being worth paying for whatever it is you're like presenting to them you have to like why should why should I you know uh, unfortunately I think even even amongst like black people too they would go to Walmart before they go to the black owned store that's next door that might be charging a dollar or two more you have to earn you have to earn it not even just with black people but you have to earn the audience earn the uh, consumership and don't look for what this business materially can do for you recently I just started going overseas and stuff like that and I've been cooking since I, well, I started culinary school, I was 19, 29 now. So now, 10 years later, now I get the calls to cook in L.A., go overseas, go to Puerto Rico, cook for two people and make what I would make in three months at a corporate job. But that took 10 years to do. I didn't come out the gate. And even before that, you've been cooking since you were younger. Exactly. That, right. That's what I'm saying. Um, in this climate now, a lot of folk think they can... Somebody told me I can cook, so now I'm a chef. And I'm like, can't be that simple. And like I said, it's, it's easy to look like that, too, because of the Instagrams, the this. You can buy followers. You can all this stuff, because perception is everything. And all they're showing is what they would like to. Exactly. So, And always be prepared to cook, man. Some, you think you can do something better than somebody, show them. Okay, do you... And that makes me think, do you consider yourself a successful person? To my standards, yeah. Okay. Like, I set goals for myself, so I think that's a success. Right. You know, I don't have to have the biggest house, the, the, the flashiest car, the design of this and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do provides my son to have a good lifestyle, mm -hmm. uh, for me to travel, um, mm -hmm. come and go as I please. Um, teach other people, um, make history, you know. So those things, money can't, I can't put a price tag on that. So success for me is I did what I, what I set myself out to do, success. Then everything else after that is extra credit. What would be the moment in your career where you're like, wow, like, like where, you, where, you, where you sit back and you're like, I just like, whew. And have you had it already? Yeah. Okay. What was that moment for you? If I had to narrow it down, it's, it's, it's two. I got the call to cook for Tiffany Haddish, good friend of mine, Precious Jackson. She's her uh, personal hairstylist. Got connected with her. She told me who her clients were and I'm going to need you one day, so just be ready. Yeah. And at that time, I haven't cooked for anybody. Right. Just a lot of local stuff. But I was, I'm, like I said, I'm always ready. So um, she got the call, said, hey, we're going to be in Vegas. I'm throwing a party for Tiffany. Can you come cook in her private villa? I said, book it. Let's do it. Let's book it. So um, they gave me like, yeah, we, we're going to do it on the 23rd. And this was like the second. So I practiced every day that same dish in the circumstances where I had to cook at. So she had a villa, I had to cook in her villa, so there's no stoves, there's no oven, but I gotta deliver a high quality meal. So I put the pra I, I practice and they, she loved it. 
Um, her friends and staff loved it. Uh, we went to the show the next day. That was cool. We uh, after the dinner, like all her staff went to go gamble, and a few of us just stayed. Me and her. She was like, "You from Chicago?" I said, "Yeah." Well, teach me how to step. So we we uh, taught. You know, did a little one two step. Uh, had a few cocktails all night, and just chilled by the pool. Great, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so that was one. Then the call, I got to go overseas to cook for a professional basketball club for 11 months, where I was in charge of the meal preparations for about seven, eight players. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, pre-game, post-game, airplane food sometimes. Uh, on top of being Jeremy Pargo's live-in, breakfast, lunch, snack, midnight snack, chef, what you got, I'm hungry, four in the morning, all that stuff. So once I got the call that it could take me from my mom's kitchen when I was seven, eight to overseas now, very humble and expensive. Yeah, it was just like, cause you know, it go by so fast. It's like, man, just, it feel like last year I was making scrambled eggs. Now I'm making lobster and things like that over here. And I think it is really nice to, to put in that hard work and then for someone to see or to even like recognize it for what you've been putting in. Like you work so much and you're like, I don't even, you know, I don't come up for air. And then somebody's like, hey, I want you. And you're like, wow. And then you get a chance to actually sit and reflect on it. Yeah. And to put his, you know, his, his, how he performs, his body, things like that, that dictates his livelihood. So he trusts me enough. You know, like I knew, I knew, known him since I was, but he didn't know me as a chef. So I went into it like, okay, we not friends. I'm going to show you what I got. Then from there, uh, he'll tell this story. He was like, man, now I got it, but I thought you was going to charge me. I said, I said, man, just pay for my travel and the food. I just give me the opportunity to cook for someone that's known, popular athlete like yourself. And that's all I needed. Then from there, he was like, okay, got him. Now, you know what I'm saying? Then, like I said, he's, he's, he's take care of me very well. Uh, very blessed with it. That's beautiful. And then not even that, because of the type of person that you seem to be, you've been able to, like you said, you, you were over there and then you went to all these other places to, to get more, to yeah. get more. And I'm like, you, you knew that it was going to pay for itself yeah. in the long run. Wow. The place I wanted to go when I was writing in the journal. You said, all right, check, check. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, I mean, you you consider yourself someone to be successful. What can we expect from you in the future? You've hit a lot of high points in your career so far, and you're only 29. So what else can we expect? So Bull Young Bourbon will be out hopefully this summer. Uh, all permits are done, federal, state, FDA, everything's clear. But due to the coronavirus, the distillery is at a, at a standstill where we can't go into mass production. So... Um, that's kind of like the hold up for that. Uh, I'm still doing private chef work here in Chicago. Um, but yeah, after that, hopefully the next 10 years, you'll see the Bull Young Lounge. Um, uh, similar to Soho House, I want a, a few of them all concentrating on, you know, whiskey, scotches, bourbons, uh, things like that. Um, then that'll turn into Bull Young Hotels. Then after that, uh, Bull Young Airlines, Bull Young Real Estate Company, Bull Young Clothes, Bull Young Cigars, just getting back to the whole brand, the whole, exactly. 
So why Bull Young, though? Why the name Bull Young? I didn't even ask that, but now that I see that you're trying to think. My last name is Bullock, and if you Google Bullock the name, Bullock means a young bull, like a baby bull. I'm the youngest in my, before my son was born, I'm the youngest in my immediate family. So I got an older brother, a mom, and a dad. So my dad, he's county president on the East Coast, pastor, my mom's first lady this, and entrepreneur that, author three books, and this. Then you got my older brother, president of Mega Sci-Fi, and athlete, and Dean's List, then me. So growing up, me and my brother were two years apart. So I'm always Ben's, that's young Bullock. That's Bullock, my dad goes by Bullock, or Doc, or because he has his doctorate. Or that's Doc's youngest son. Or that's Debbie's youngest. Nobody knew. Nobody called me Daniel or Danny. Or that, none of that was out the door. I was always the youngest Bullock. Right. So it's all. It's till to this day. Uh, I'm always Ben's younger brother, Debbie's youngest son. Yada yada yada. So that childhood nickname just carried on. Things like that. And it took me six months to come up with that name. Cause I'm trying all these, all these marketable names, and I wanted to do, yeah, yeah, all this stuff. So I was like, so I wanted to just, I was like, man, forget it. I'm gonna just call it Bullock. When my dad's a pastor. He was like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, right. I was like, I, right, what does a Bullock mean? Like, what is it? And it's just a baby bull. So in, in Philly, like the slang is young bull. So I was like, I ain't from Philly. Can't say that. So I just made it bull young yeah and, and and that's crazy something that you search for for however long and then it's like look you don't got what's what's for you is for you and it will always be for you well and like i said i'm the first youngest african-american male in the world to come out with a bourbon so bull young bourbon the moments in history so with that i made history this interview is a moment in history the party you came to was a moment in history and all the things I'm going is that all right so those are um I guess the heavy hitting questions I have for you also I'll say this must be my favorite part is it your favorite part like lightning round okay the craziest answers so and I, right. I'm one drink in so all right ready all right favorite drink bull young bourbon <laughs> governments mints okay favorite song um, this is a man's world by James Brown. Okay. Uh, favorite meal to eat? Fried chicken, mac and cheese, collard green, sweet potato, hot water cornbread. Favorite meal to prepare? Ooh, got him. Okay. <laughs> a lobster agnolati. So it's just a filled pasta ravioli almost a favorite smell um the air i breathe in okay. <laughs> great answer favorite artist any kind of art jay-z okay favorite music genre Ooh. soul okay so, I mean, this is a man's world. I I would think so. I like rap too, but like, stuck on an island. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah. Okay. Favorite podcast. Um. Chatterbox podcast. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. 
<laughs> but that is all the time we have. Again, my name is Coco and this is Chef Danny. And you are watching and hopefully listening to Chatterbox Podcast. Come on, let's take this down. This is heavy, but we're going to do it though. Toast to Bull Young Bourbon. Coming soon. Season finale of Chatterbox Podcast. Wonderful. That was good. Yes. That was fun. That's yeah, outtakes. Yeah. You just heard my interview with Chef Danny, and you can see information about Danny and everything that he's doing by looking at his Instagram at Chef Danny. Again, that's at. C-H-E-F-D-A-N-N-Y. You have just listened to episode eight of season two of Chatterbox Podcast, the season finale. I would like to thank everyone who has tuned into every single episode, those of you who have tuned into one episode, and those of you who have been with me from season one. I truly, truly appreciate all the support, all the feedback, all of the constructive criticism. It means more than you know. As I always say, this podcast, the purpose of this podcast is to accurately reflect and positively affect our communities. I want you to know that I am always aware of what's happening in our community, especially right now. And as I stated earlier, I wanted to have 10 episodes, but ended up with eight and everything truly happens for a reason because I feel like this was a great way to end the season, reminding everyone of the positivity that actually does come out of our communities. That's what this show is all about. I would like my black brothers and sisters to know that I truly love you and I see you and I adore you. And I want the rest of the world to know all of the things that you create and how valuable you are. Keep accomplishing those great things, keep creating, keep studying and educating yourselves and others, keep loving on one another, just keep being who you are because we need you. As I always say at the end of these episodes, if there is any feedback or any ideas or anything that you feel needs to be shown on Chatterbox Podcast, feel free to email me at chatterboxpodcast18 at gmail.com. Again, that's C-H-A-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-8 at gmail.com. I love hearing the feedback and the criticism. It makes me better. And makes the podcast better because remember, it's a podcast for us by us. Again, thank you for tuning in to the episodes. I truly appreciate it. And I can't wait till you see what I have planned for season three. Again, this is the season finale of Chatterbox Podcast Season Two, where I talk about what I like and hopefully you like it too. <laughs>